you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 8. Joshua, chapter 8. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 30 and through 35. So Joshua 8, 30 through 35. Well, in the aftermath of everything that's been going on in uh, 2020, this Thanksgiving has the has the chance to become one of the most memorable in our lives. Uh, this year has, has uh, it's been hard in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of different ways for all of us. Uh, some of us, for some of us, it's been even, it's been especially tough. And yet, isn't that what makes it so important for us to take a step back, to think about all the blessings that we have received? For all the hard things that we have been through, we've all received much to be thankful for. Maybe we have an opportunity to celebrate the things that really matter this year with a, with, a, with a sense of clarity that we've never had before. Our passage this morning is set as the crown jewel of Joshua chapter 8. It is the cherry on top, the gleaming star at the top of the tree that announces hope to the world, and it beckons us all to come and to rejoice in thankfulness to the king. This is a defining moment in the history of God's people, announcing victory and the fulfillment of certain promises that God had made, and it's a, it pronounces uh, joy and, and as the people rejoice in, the, in celebrating the relationship that they have with him as they go forward uh, into the rest of, of the book. Now, we have a lot to learn from in this passage, both for why we ought to give thanks to God and how we ought to give thanks to him. So let's begin this morning by reading our passage. I'll be reading Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones which, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born, with their elders and the officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded it at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded Joshua, that, that, of, Mo, of that, oh, sorry, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And the women and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, the reason why the book of Joshua is so compelling is because it's so much more than just a book of history. It's a book of the, about the faithfulness of God as he works to keep his covenant promises. And it's a book that calls us to give our allegiance to him. 
While Joshua tells us how Israel received the promised land, the focus really is on Israel's holiness and their relationship to God. On the surface, the book of Joshua may look like a book of battles, but when we press in and take a closer look, it's really a book on worship, a book that instructs us how we ought to prioritize our relationship with God. That theme is vividly evident in Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. Chapter 8 is all about how God worked to restore Israel to a right relationship with him after the disaster of Achan's sin. And our passage this morning is like the final capstone being placed on this monument of God's work of redemption and restoration. Last week we saw how God worked to restore his people, how he protected them, how he comforted them. And this week what we're going to be doing is looking at the response that Joshua and the people had to God's restoration work. Israel's right response to God, we see, was to worship him. It was to give thanks. And as we think about how God has worked to establish his covenant of grace towards, uh, towards us, with us, in Christ, this passage becomes immensely instructive for you and for me because it teaches us to worship with thankfulness. So the main idea of this passage is simply this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is our king. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is our king is our king. This morning I want to bring your attention to three reasons we ought to give thanks to God, our king. First, we see that we are to give him thanks for his word. We are to give him thanks for his word. Second, we see that we are to give him thanks for his blessings. We are to give him thanks for his blessings. And finally, we see that we are to give thanks for the way that our king has made himself one with us. We're to give thanks for the way the king has made himself one with us. Well, sometimes you need a timeout, a break from the action, so that you can step back, collect your thoughts, and recenter yourself on what really matters before pressing in to the chaos of every day. Joshua 8, uh, verses 30 through 35, is a bit like that. It's a break from the action so that the people could refocus on their relationship with God before plunging back into the battle uh, to take uh, the, Can- the land of Canaan. After Joshua and the people had destroyed Ai and its king, we see that they traveled north to Shechem to Mount Ebal, where Joshua made an altar to the Lord. Now, this would have been about 20 miles uh, from Ai, deeper into Canaanite territory to the north. And the purpose of this journey wasn't actually to conduct any military operations, though. No, the, the purpose of this journey was obedience, and it was worship. Now, we saw last week how Israel's uh, victory over Ai signified that God had restored them to himself after Achan broke the covenant with his sin. This is Israel's right response to God's covenant of his work of covenant restoration. This is a, a worship service. But more than that, it's a time away with God, a time of renewal, a time of thanks. So this passage, as we read it, is, is action-driven. And Joshua is really the main actor, leading Israel in worship and in giving thanks to God. See, he does five things here. In verse 30... Joshua built an altar to God, which we see followed the pattern that was laid down in the law of Moses. 
In verse 31, uh, Joshua and the people offer sacrifices to God on the altar that Joshua built. In verse 32, we're told that Joshua wrote copies of the law on the stones. And then he arranged the people, in verse 33, around the altar and around the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And finally, in verse 34, we see that he read aloud the words of the law with its blessing and its curse to the people. Now, as you read what Joshua and the people did, the key feature that should stick out to you is that all of this was done in response to and in accordance with the word of the Lord. When we look at this passage, we see that it is shot through with this big theme of God's word. And you may have noticed that Moses is mentioned here for the first time in a long time. Moses hasn't been referred, we haven't talked about Moses or seen him referred to uh, since the middle of chapter 4. And suddenly his name appears five times in as many verses, in five verses. Now that's intentional. Our author is doing two, thing, two things by bringing Moses up. First, he's hammering home how Joshua and the people were being careful to do everything they had been commanded by the Lord through Moses. This worship service wasn't held at random. It's not as if someone got the sudden burden, we need to go have a worship service. No, this is intentionally timed, and it's in an intentional place. It was something that Joshua and the people had been instructed to do by Moses before they ever even entered the land. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, we, we read that Moses told the people that when they crossed, that when, when they crossed over the Jordan, when they entered the promised land, they were to set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. He says, You shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I commanded you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there... You shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on these stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now, if that was Moses' command, when we look at Joshua 8... We see that the, the people carried this out to the T. The reason we find that Joshua and the people went to Mount Ebal, and the reason that they did what they did there, was because they were doing what God had commanded them to do through Moses. As abrupt as it feels to be reading about the battle of Ai, only to be whisked away suddenly to Mount Ebal, our author is showing us the priority that covenant obedience takes over military victory. After all, Achan's sin proved to us that Israel could not hope to receive God's blessing if they broke their relationship with him through disobedience. So this ceremony was important because it demonstrated real obedience to God's word. This time of thanksgiving was more important for Israel than, than it was for them to take up position for the next fight. Now it's, it's good to look ahead. It's good to anticipate, to prepare, to prepare for things that we see on the horizon. But we often forget to listen to Jesus when he tells us to let tomorrow worry about itself. If we are consumed with the cares of tomorrow, 
our hearts will be ill-equipped to give God the thanks that he deserves. So the timing of this trip to Mount Ebal is surprising. After all, Israel is in the middle of a military campaign, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to walk 20 miles to have a worship service when you're in the middle of a war. But after Ai, I think that Joshua and the people understood that the most important thing they could do to prepare for the battles of head, that were ahead was to draw near to the Lord and to draw near and give him thanks. And to quote a friend, uh, there was no earthly reason that Israel should, not, should have been able to defeat Jericho the way that it did, and there was no earthly reason that Israel should have been defeated the way that they were at Ai. And that was because, that's because the Lord was the one who was fighting for Israel. And when he withdrew from Israel, when they broke the covenant, they were defeated. When our hearts are anxious, we forget that victory is from the Lord. The Bible calls us to give thanks to God because he's worthy of it, but it also calls us to give thanks to God because worship through thanksgiving is one of the most effective ways to fight fear and anxiety. When we give God thanks the way that scripture does, our eyes are, are lifted from the troubles of this earth to the glory of heaven, to see the one who holds all things in his hands, to be reminded that it's our kind, perfect father who tells us that he loves us and who works all things for our good and for his glory. I know that everyone is ready to press on, to celebrate Christmas, and to get on to 2021. But before we do, let's stop to give God thanks. Not just because the Bible says we should, but because we need this. We need to take some time and meditate on the glory and the goodness of God of the way that he has kept us and sustained us in the middle of very hard circumstances. We, we have no idea what 2021 is going to be like. It may be worse. So before we go jumping into it, we need to take time to prepare our hearts. And we see in this passage that one of the critical ways we do that is to give God thanks. Well, that was the first purpose our author has for drawing our attention to the word of the Lord. The second purpose that our author had for this section is to emphasize the significance of how God had worked to fulfill the promises which he had laid out in his word. The fact that Joshua and the people traveled to Mount Ebal is important, not just because it shows us how um, that they were obeying the command, but because of the significance of the place itself. Shechem is where Abram lived when God appeared to him and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Abram had built an altar in the very place where Joshua and the people were, were, were worshiping. And then later on, Jacob, who was Abraham's grandson, also built an altar to the Lord after he returned from exile with his father-in-law Laban he bought property there, he, and he built an altar and called it El Eloe Israel, which means the God, the God of Israel. This altar was built in the same area. Our author wants us to see that there's a connection going on between God's covenant with Abraham and this covenant renewal in Joshua 8. He doesn't just tell us that Joshua built some altar on a mountain. He says that he built an altar to the Lord the God of Israel, which harkens back to what Jacob had named that place. We're meant to see a direct link between the promise God made to Abraham and Jacob 
And what is now happening as God brought Israel into the land to give them the inheritance just as he said he would. This passage is is doing two things. It's showing us that God always keeps his word, that his word is trustworthy. And it's calling us to live lives of thankfulness according to his word. I don't know what sort of images come to your mind when you read this passage. Maybe it just seems like a lot of repetition and a little weird and, and strange. But the reality is that verse in verse 31, this, this is a party, okay? This would have been exciting. You would have wanted to be there. In verse 31, we see that Israel offered two types of sacrifices to God. We see that they offered burnt offerings. Now, burnt offerings are typically offered to atone for sin. They're totally consumed. No one eats them. They're burned up. And they're burned up as, a, as a, an atonement into a payment for sin. What we see also, though, is that Israel offered peace offerings to God. Because burnt offerings were, were offered for atonement, they were burned up wholly unto God. But peace offerings were given to God as an offering of thanksgiving. It was a big, happy ordeal to offer a peace offering to God because while certain parts of the animal were were God's and were given to God, the rest of the animal was eaten by the priest and by the people who were making the sacrifice. The idea, when you offered a peace offering, it was like you were sitting down at the table with God, sharing a meal with Him, rejoicing in Him and everything that He had done. There, There... The peace offering is a signal that there's a relationship going on there between the person and between God. And God's command to the people was that they do this and that they rejoice. So this was a glad time of thanksgiving. Israel, as we have read this book so far, we have seen that Israel had so many reasons to give praise to God. But in the aftermath of Achan's sin, the biggest thing they had to celebrate was how God kept his word, how he fulfilled fulfilled his covenant, and how he did all of that despite everything that the people themselves had done to jeopardize that. God's word is effective. He says in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And then he says this. He says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. The word of the Lord makes the joy of his people full because it always accomplishes what he sends it to do. There's an agency to the word of the Lord, an agency that gives us a reason to be thankful, not just because we rejoice in what he's done in the past, but because of what he assures us that he's doing in the future. So we should give God thanks um, for his word. We also see that we're to give him thanks for his blessing. In verses 33 through 34, We're told that Joshua arranged all the people together, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders, officers, and judges, with the Ark of the Covenant in their center. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and the other stood in front of Mount Ebal. And then the second part of verse 33 says that this was done according to the command of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and that it was done for a very specific purpose. 
the purpose of blessing the people. There's a, there's a relationship then between the word of the Lord and the blessing of his people. It's a relationship that we see expressed in Psalm 19, verse 7, which says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. God intends his law to be a blessing for his people. The law of the Lord is not your enemy. Our sin is our enemy. As the expression of God's righteous standard, the law shows us what it is to walk righteously before God. It shows us how far we fall from that righteous standard. Left to ourselves, we see that the law condemns us because we are sinners. And therefore, we may find ourselves resenting the law because of that and thinking that the law is an enemy of the gospel. But what we find in Joshua 8 is that the law of the Lord is intended to be a blessing to God's people. While the law is powerless to justify us, to make us righteous, because it is weakened by our sin, God has given the law so that we might understand our need for a Savior, and so that he might, at the right time, reveal the one who fulfills and upholds God's righteous standard, and who brings salvation to all who believe in him. That man is Jesus Christ. The law is like a steward, and it has a role to play. It shows us how we're supposed to live. It sets up boundaries. In the service of the Holy Spirit, the law convicts us and prepares us to receive the king. And though our hope is never in works of the law, we have a hope because the king, we have a king who kept the law for us who died for sinners, who has secured the blessings of God for his people, having been raised from the dead. So the law had an important role to play in the life of God's people. So important, we see in verse 34, that our author says that Joshua read all of the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. And then in verse 35, he says that he read it to all of the people. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you ever read the Law of Moses especially, you'll know that uh, it's pretty lengthy. And uh, I just can't imagine Titus standing there listening to that. But we are told that there is not a word of all that Moses commanded Joshua that he did not read before the assembly of Israel, the women and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Why was it so important that everyone, from the women to the children to the men, to even to the foreigners who had come and taken up residence in the camp, heard the law with its blessing and its curse? Well, because in the aftermath of Achan's sin, the people had seen firsthand how sin brings death and the curse of the law. Before Israel was ready to press on to receive the rest of God's promise, they needed to be refreshed with a knowledge of God's righteousness. And they needed to be committed to obeying him. They needed to be reminded of the blessing of obedience and the curse of disobedience. The blessing of God's commands was more than just the land or the riches of the land or the victory over enemies. The blessing was God himself. 
The joy of the sacrifices that Israel offered up to God was made special because God had united himself to Israel in a special way. Which brings us to the third way this passage calls us to live in thankfulness. We see that it, we, are, we are called to give thanks for the way that the king has made himself one with us. Now for this entire sermon, I have been operating with a certain sort of assumption saying that we're supposed to rejoice in the blessings of the king, knowing full well that there's no mention of a king at all in this passage. The thing is, when you look at what Joshua does here, he's acting very kingly, acting with the sort of authority that a king would have and doing the kind of things that a king was supposed to do. Now, when we look at the law of Moses and what it said that a king was supposed to do, we see that a king was required to make a copy of the law, that he was to read that copy daily so that he would know how to rule. And here we see Joshua doing something similar to that. He's making a copy actually for the people, carving them on the stone so that they could see them. He's also reading them word for word to remind them of what God had said, laying on the people the blessing of the law and the curse of the law. Joshua was a great leader, just as Moses was, but he was never a king. His kingly actions were done out of the stewardship he had received from the true king of Israel, the Lord. God was their lawgiver, their judge, their protector, and their provider. This covenant renewal at Shechem is specially designed to crown God as the king of his people. The real joy of this passage, the real reason Israel had to give thanks is that their king and their God was one with them in a special way. That he was in their midst. That's, that's what's being communicated here in the ceremony. You see that Israel lined up half in front of one mountain, half in front of the other. But we read the most important detail that the ark of the covenant of the Lord was in the middle. The ark as we've seen, represents God's special presence. The fact that God commanded that ark to be in the midst of the people as they rejoiced, as they gave thanks for how he had kept his covenant and blessed them with the land, just as he said he would, is a picture of the way that God has made his presence dwell in an even greater way with his people now through Jesus Christ. Now we can argue all day long about when it's appropriate to start hanging Christmas lights. But it is always appropriate to celebrate the coming of the divine Savior, who is Emmanuel, God with us. It's in Christ that the curse of the law is removed from us. And it's in Christ that the blessings of God's covenant of salvation comes to us as a free gift to be received by faith. Israel had every reason to rejoice in the word of God as it was spoken to them as they stood on the slopes of Mount Ebal, remembering the word that God had spoken to Abram, knowing that they stood in the very place where Abram received that blessing. They had every reason to give thanks to God who had appointed his word and his law to be a blessing to them, to show them how to live, to make them a light to the nations. But they had a reason to rejoice even more because God was with them in their midst to guard them, to guide them, to bless them, and to make them a blessing to the whole world. The blessing of the word of the Lord and the law of the Lord is, it comes prepared 
and, and it comes preparing the way of the coming Redeemer who would establish a new covenant of righteousness with the enduring worth of his own blood, who would seal the blessing of his people, the blessing of eternal life with him, with his own resurrection from the dead on the third day. Paul writes in Galatians 3, chapter, verse 23, he says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith should be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, neither, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We have so many reasons to be thankful this morning. But chief among those reasons is this. God reigns as our king, and as king, he has kept his perfect word of hope, and he has determined to bless us, though we have sinned against him, and he has secured that blessing by sending his own son to become one of us, to take on the curse of the law, so that he could remove that curse from us, and he, being crushed from our sin, has made all who believe in him alive. And there is secured for us the blessing of God, the blessing of the offspring of Abraham. Who are we to look at a year such as this and think that somehow we have been excused from giving thanks to the one who gives us everything and who works all things for the glory of our king and for our salvation? God is good. Let us rejoice in that. Party, the party that went down on Mount Ebal was important because it gave Israel time to refocus on the covenant that linked them to God in a special way as a special people. It was more important that, that they had a right relationship with the Lord, their God and their king, than it was for them to make sure they had enough arrows and shields and swords for the coming fight. It was more important that they gave attention to their relationship with their king. This morning, we have a special opportunity to celebrate with, with Jared and Emily Urban as they make a special public profession of their faith through the ordinance of baptism. Just like Israel's covenant renewal was a time of thanksgiving and a time where the people were able to focus on how God had made a covenant of peace with them, how he was with them as their king, so baptism is a confession of hope in the work of King Jesus, and it links us to him in a special way. As Paul says in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The treasure of baptism is that it links Christ to his people under his promise, in his inheritance, as sons and daughters of God. Now, baptism doesn't save us, but it is a physical expression of how we have been linked to Christ, how we have put him on, and how we are his. It's a celebration of thanksgiving. And so as we rejoice as one body to, with Jared and Emily this morning, let us do so uh, in line with the celebration of Joshua 8, 30-35. 
relishing the way that God has kept his word, rejoicing the way he has secured our blessing, and giving thanks for the way he has made us one with him, our king, through Jesus Christ. Jared and Emily, this is a special occasion, a special celebration of thankfulness and obedience to God in the light of what he has done in your own lives through the work of Jesus by his grace and for his glory. And we are so glad to rejoice with you in that. And we want you to remember in the days ahead that you have been bought with a price, that you are not your own, and that the promises of God's blessings have been given to you as a gift of God's love, which you then are called to share with the world. We have so many reasons to give thanks to God our King. I know that this Thanksgiving holiday may look a little different for some of you, and that's okay. Because my prayer is that in light of everything we've seen in Joshua 8, that this Thanksgiving would be remarkably different for all of us, that it would mean something as we celebrate the way that God has spoken through his word, how he has upheld his perfect promises, as we give thanks for the blessings that he pours out on us day, to, out on us day in and day out, and as finally as we rejoice in the king who has made himself one with us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you this morning. 